go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm, I'm excited today. I said this is Highlight Sunday. I'm with Mark. He's, he's starting to preach my sermon. That's okay, Mark. Uh, he's on the right track. He's telling you the right thing, and I believe him. I, I, I believe God is telling us exactly what Pastor Mark is sharing with you. If you'll reach up, he'll reach down. You know, we don't have to carry a lot of stuff that we're carrying. And I know we all battle at different times in our life levels of anxiety. Isn't that true? Now, how many here would like to say today, you know, there's some things I'd like to let go of right now. There's some things that are weighing heavy on my heart. This is an uplifted hand. Let's just lift these up to God this morning. Can we do that? You know, we have disappointments in life. There's challenges before us. These things will always be there. And I think that's designed to help you and I trust God. It's designed to keep us looking to him and uh, no sooner do I get through one thing, how many have discovered there's something else facing us? And uh, we have to learn to trust God for that. And we grow in our faith because of those things. But let's, let's alleviate the anxiety this morning. So Lord, as we've heard, beautiful message. You're reaching down right now, we're reaching up. Lord, we're, ta- we're casting all of these things that cause anxiety and anxiousness, fear and turmoil within our soul to you this morning. We're asking you right now to take our burdens upon you, Father. Your word declares, if we cast our cares on you, you said you would care for us, you would assume those burdens, and that we could leave this place knowing that we're in your care and that you're concerned that you're hearing our cry, you're answering our prayers, you're working things for good, and we just thank you for all those amazing assurances that you're giving us. Now I pray, Lord, open our hearts to you. May we hear you speak in our heart language. May we hear your voice speaking, not the voice of a pastor, but the voice of the Spirit of the living God speaking into our soul exactly what we need to hear today this amazing Easter Sunday in 2019. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. I can't imagine receiving a phone call like Ruth Dillow received. Uh, She had sent off her son to fight in the Persian Gulf War, and she got a phone call from the Pentagon. How many know that's probably not a good thing when you have a son off fighting a war And the person, I don't know why they didn't send someone to her home, but they said that her son stepped on a landmine and that he had been killed. And so you can imagine the tremendous uh, grief that she was experiencing. It was awful. It was a sickening reality that her beautiful son would never come home to her. And then three days later, she received another phone call, and the voice on the other end said, Mom, I'm alive. (laughs) Now you can imagine how dramatic that was. She said... You know, here she was mourning the loss of her 23-year-old son for three days to hear his voice saying, Mom, I'm alive. She said, you can't imagine. She said, you know, just, just imagine the joy. She said it this way, I was literally jumping up and down, screaming with absolute delight that my son was still alive. And so, you know, can you imagine going from the depths of despair to the overwhelming sense of relief and gratitude and joy that filled her heart? But you know, that gives us a little something of what it must have been like on that first Easter morning. Because here were these men and women who had literally invested everything in becoming a follower of Christ and all of their dreams on Good Friday and their minds had gone up in smoke. I mean, here's Jesus, the one he had followed. He's dead you know, was this all, uh, you know, were they deceived? Were they deluded? What was wrong? You know, they had seen all of the miracles. They'd seen people come back to life, and here he was dead. It just felt like 
just wallowing. I, I just can't even imagine those two days thinking about the, the final hours of Jesus. They saw him arrested. They saw the betrayal. They watched as he was crucified. The next two days they were grieving. I think they were struggling with shame and guilt because they had forsaken him in his most greatest hour of need. And then their, as I said, their hopes and dreams were absolutely crushed. And then women, on that first Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday, racing, screaming, he's alive. You know, they probably thought, these women are delusional, you know, <laughs> like, really? We just saw him dead. I mean, the, to register that kind of information would have been so difficult, and yet they raced off because they said the tomb is empty, Jesus is alive, and they raced off to the tomb, and exactly as they said, there was an empty tomb. They had said that they had seen angels. Uh, at first, these guys didn't see any angels, but I'll tell you, they saw grave clothes lying there as if the body had just left. And uh, the Bible says that John became a believer just seeing that experience. A number of years ago in a church in Bangladesh, and we've just heard a great tragedy uh, recently, like this, this today. Basically, you know, when, when you're in India, like when I go there, this is actually Sunday night in the morning now. So they had already had their services on, on the, that side of the world. And uh, this, this congregation was preparing a Good Friday service back then. The one that happened here, there was an attack on the church and 200 people were killed. So, I mean, that's a tragedy. I mean, we, we, we don't understand what's going on in our world, but there's a huge spiritual battle going on. But a number of years ago, in, in that part of the world, Bangladesh, they had brought in the Jesus film. And if you've ever seen the Jesus film, it depicts the story of the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. And while they were watching Jesus being crucified, and if you're, if you're not used to media, and the, a lot of these people, you know, back in that time were not as used to media. It's very dramatic when you see the story of Jesus unfold before you in media. You've never heard the story before. Can you imagine watching it for the first time and seeing him, you know, all the good things he's doing, then he's betrayed and he's arrested and he's you know, crucified, and they were, you could feel the emotion in, the, in that church. They was just packed with people. Just could feel the emotion, disappointment, and all the rest of it. Finally, in that deep emotional moment, one little boy in the crowded church said, don't be afraid, he gets up again, you know? <laughs> and, and that's the good news, you know, that Jesus is alive. He got up. He's alive. And that's why we're here today. That's the message of Easter. It's a message of hope in a world of despair. It's a message of our society that, that our society so desperately needs. It's a message that the first disciples were preaching. It's the message that Peter preached to a crowd uh, 50 days after the death of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. It was the day that you know, the Jews had gathered. You, know, you have to understand something of the Jewish law to really fully appreciate what's going on. Let me just take you back in time for a moment. Go all the way back with me to when the Jews were actually, actually dispersed. They were exiled out of their nation. They went into Babylon and, and they were dispersed all over the world. And then you had some of them coming back and rebuilding the temple. And then you had, you know, when they had these festivals and the temples rebuilt, it was required of Jewish men to go back and celebrate these feasts. There were certain ones they had to go back for. One was the Passover. That was the feast that Jesus was crucified on. That was the feast that was celebrating the fact that Israelites were led out of slavery. And so 
Jesus is actually showing us a picture that you and I are being led out of a slavery far deeper than human oppression. It's actually the slavery of sin that you and I are all battling. And so they were celebrating the Passover feast. And then 50 days later, they gathered again. And this time for the Feast of First Fruits, you know, the Feast of Pentecost, the ingathering. And so they were there. And isn't it amazing how God uses our events and our timetable? I think God planned it all out, to be honest with you. You know, they were there in the upper room waiting, and, and Jesus had said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And on that 50th day, the Spirit of God came on these guys, you know, and these women in that upper room, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in a language they had never learned. And they were actually speaking in a known language. And they were speaking in languages that actually were impacting the people had, that had gathered in Jerusalem because at that moment, the city would swell with all of these people coming to celebrate these festivals. And there were people from 17 different national entities around the world. They were Jewish, but they were now in Jerusalem to celebrate. And as these Galileans, these northern uh, Israelites, these northern Jewish people, these Hebrews who were speaking out in a language they had never learned, all of them were hearing them declare the wonderful works of God. How many know that was a miracle? You know, how many here can say, it would be pretty interesting if I started speaking in a language I'd never learned and people around me could understand what I was saying. Wouldn't that be amazing? That was what was happening at that moment. Why was God doing that? He was drawing attention to these people. He was doing a supernatural thing to arrest people's attention. Now, Peter gets up and, you know, because people are going, what in the world is going on here? You know, some were mocking and saying, well, these guys are just drunk. Peter goes, no, no, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not inebriated. This is what the Bible talked about in the Old Testament. The prophet Joel said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and my sons and my daughters will prophesy and they will begin to communicate the wonderful things of God. And this is what you're now seeing and experiencing. And he's explaining this to them. And then we pick up Peter's Pentecostal sermon. I, I like this sermon. That's why I'm going to talk about it here today. It says here, uh, in beginning in verse 22, he says, Now, fellow Israelites, um, there was, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. I want you to know that the resurrection is at the essence of, of the Christian message. That's what the good news is. G. Campbell Morgan says, at the heart of the mission of Jesus is the resurrection. As a matter of fact, this morning, when I was reading in the book of Acts, I noticed Paul, who was standing before uh, a Jewish king, King Agrippa, and he says these words, beautiful words in Acts 26, 23. He said that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead. Do you realize that no one had ever really been resurrected from the dead to remain alive? I know some were resurrected, you know, from the dead, but not to remain alive. And it says he was the first to rise from the dead and would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Jesus is actually revealing something of who he is by being resurrected. That's an important point. We'll get back to that in a minute. But today, right now in the church, we're celebrating this message of the resurrection. We're celebrating the reason why death is defeated for those who put their trust in Christ. There's a reason why you and I can have hope when we have losses in our lives. There's a reason why when fellow Christians go to be with Christ, 
You and I know that their bodies are going to be resurrected. You and I have a hope that when we die, our bodies will be resurrected because Jesus' body was resurrected. That's why we have this hope. And by the way, most of our culture tries to embrace that hope, but they don't understand by which the foundation that hope is placed. It's actually in what I'm sharing today. It says we're celebrating why our sins no longer have authority and dominion over our lives. We are celebrating our declaration of freedom. We're celebrating our declaration of independence from sin. That's what we're celebrating today. So Easter is that powerful reminder of the central truth of Christianity that Jesus Christ is alive. You know, I love that. You know, you can study all the religions in the world. You can study all the founders of every religion. And I can let you know today that Muhammad is still in his tomb. Buddha is still in his tomb. But when you and I come to the person of Jesus Christ, we see an empty tomb because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the church was persecuted because of this message. It's amazing. This is a dangerous message, folks. I don't know if you know that. This is a dangerous message. It'll get you into trouble. You know, Paul starts preaching at Athens, and he's talking about Jesus raised from the dead, and they called him a seed picker. They called him a pseudo-intellectual. They said, this guy's beside himself. Who believes that people can live after this life? You see, they were putting him down. But this is what Paul on trial, says to King Agrippa, he says, it's concern, oh, sorry, this is uh, Felix, it's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. And then he goes on, as I've already said, in Athens, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Now, how important is the resurrection? I want to just remind us what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said it this way, if there is no resurrection of the dead, even that concept then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It doesn't have any value. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead, excuse me, are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's empty. It's got no value. You're still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those that had died before that were Christians. And then he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of most people, of all people, most to be pitied. In other words, what's the value of suffering all that we're going through if, we're, if this is a false thing? And then he says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep Wow. So he says, no, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I want to go back over the sermon that Peter preached and look at four life-changing truths when we embrace Christ's death and resurrection. The first one simply is this. This was all planned by God. God orchestrated this thing. You know, it's not a, it's, it was not just a random happenstance. <clears throat> Dr. Thomas, who's a friend of mine, he, he sent me a little Easter thing, and it said this. It was a picture of the cross, and underneath it says... Because of Calvary, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can rearrange the letters of evil. E-V-I-L. If you turn it around, what does it spell? L-I-V-E. Because Jesus took the evil on the cross, you and I can live. That's the message. That's what we need to understand. 
So here we read it again. He says in 22, verse 22 of chapter 2, man, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, accredited by God. Why? Because of the miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you. Through him, as you also know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. This is God's plan. And foreknowledge. God knew this was going to happen. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. How many think Peter's a little bold? He's actually speaking to the people that crucified Jesus. He says, you guys did this. How many, how many think that takes a little courage? I, I think it takes a little courage to tell the people, listen, you just killed God. That's what he's basically saying to them. You just killed Yahweh. You just killed the one who came in the flesh. The one that you said you're worshiping, you just crucified him. That's, that's a pretty stunning message. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter begins by pointing out the unique nature of Jesus. He says, God accredited him with signs, miracles, and wonders. Now think about this. John Meyer, who points this out in the New York Times, I like this. He says this, many treatments of Jesus get bogged down in a discussion of the possibility of miracles. Properly speaking, that is a philosophical rather than a historical or even a theological problem. All that need be noted is that ancient Christians, Jewish, and pagan sources all agreed that Jesus did extraordinary things not easily explained by human means. I like this. In other words, they all agreed these were, this was not normal. While Jesus' disciples pointed to the Spirit of God as the source of Christ's power, Jewish and pagan adversaries spoke of demonic or magical forces. It never occurred to any to claim that nothing happened. Okay? So, you know, a lot of stuff that we're dealing with today, it's a modern invention. You know, if we, would, if we could all get in a time capsule and go back there, you'd be blown away. You'd be seeing people raised from the dead, eyes that couldn't see, now see. You'd be watching people who were lame start walking. How many think that might be a little intense? Do you, you understand why thousands of people came to see and hear Jesus? Do you understand why people crawl through the crowds so they thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole? Could you understand why people were doing that? Because they were experiencing the power of God. That's why they were doing it. And you know what? The Jewish leaders were threatened by Jesus because he was speaking the truth and they didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted life to go on as it was. They wanted to live in the status quo. But Jesus was you know, rattling their chains. He was challenging their hypocrisy. He was challenging the fact that they had an outward religion but there was a denial of the true power of God within their human hearts. Now, we also notice here that nothing could stop God's purposes from being fulfilled. Do you know even human evil can't stop God from his plans being accomplished? How many say thank God for that? You see, you and I got to see God differently. God is not in the past. God is not just in the future. God is in the present. As a matter of fact, for God, it's all the present. He is the God. He is I am. He is in this moment. He's always in the moment. That's why he knows the beginning from the end. He's not caught up in time. He's not like us. He knows everything. It's powerful. And even though these people were personally responsible for committing this great injustice by handing Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, Peter points out, no, but God said that would happen. God had already foretold all of these things. 
And I read about that earlier. Jesus is showing from the Old Testament that the Messiah had to suffer. He's the suffering servant found in Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to know that Jesus actually was a willing participant in the entire plan of salvation. It's not something that Jesus had no control over. I want to tell you a story. In World War I, a young French soldier was wounded in battle. And when he went to the hospital, the doctor realized the only way he could save his life was by amputating one of his arms. And he felt bad. How many know it's always a sad thing when you have to do something like this? But the doctor did. He operated. And so when he came to the young man, when he had finally coming out of you know, his, you know, his, uh, anesthesia, his anesthesia wearing off, he came to this young man. He says, I'm so sorry to tell you that you've lost your arm. And the young man corrected me. He says, no, I didn't lose it. I gave it for France. And I want to declare to you today that Jesus did not lose his life. He gave it. You see, Jesus gave his life. The cross was not something that, you know, was thrust upon him. He willingly accepted it for us. Let me move on to the second life-changing truth. Not only was it planned, this death and resurrection, but it was promised by God. And how many know what God says he will do? You and I can make promises. And sometimes events come into our lives and we can't fulfill them. Isn't that true? We can't control everything. We're not God. But when God makes a promise, he can always fulfill it. That's the beautiful part. You, you and I can do all the things we want to do, but we can't stop him from doing his purposes. He can even take our willful refusals and fulfill his purpose. Remember when he came to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know this God. I'm not going to let him go. God says, I'm going to just show myself powerful in the eyes of all the nations. God used the stubborn refusals of the Pharaoh, the most powerful man at that time in the world, to fulfill God's ordained purposes. Isn't that amazing to you? God can use all of these things. And now Peter shows that Jesus' resurrection was actually promised in the scripture. Verse 25, David said about him, I love this, David, he's quoting Psalms, okay? He's quoting one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16. David was the author. That's why Peter says it this way. David said, I saw the Lord always before me. Now, who is he talking about here? He's talking about the Son of God. He's not talking about himself. And you're gonna see why in a minute. He's talking about Jesus. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So what is he saying? He's saying that God, this person, this Messiah, this Son of God is not going to perish and decay in the tomb, okay? You have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled me with joy in your presence, fellow Israelites. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. By the way, Jesus was a descendant of David. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not to be abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. So David uh, was not writing about himself, as Peter points out. David's tomb, uh, but not only was David's decaying body still in the tomb, that's another thought, but Jesus' body was missing. And I want to just point something out to you, and I've been to Israel a number of times, and you're going to say, what are you looking at? And I'm going to tell you, that's David's tomb. 
That's David's tomb. See the part, I'll, I'll turn your way. On the left, that's the tomb. On the right, you'll see blue curtains. That's the divider between the women and men's side. And on the left is the men's side. On the right is the women's side. Okay, that's how it works. I'm showing you David's tomb. And so David is saying, it's not about himself. David actually died, and David, his bones are in there. He's decayed. This is not talking about David. Peter's going, listen, you guys, this is not about David, this psalm. It's about the Messiah. So if there's any doubts, Peter thinks, you know, I've thought about this. Peter and the disciples could have taken people to the tomb that was now empty. Wouldn't that I mean, think about it. If the, if, you know, these guys were saying, well, these guys stole the body. Well, I want to just point out something. If they stole the body, they're not benefiting from it because they all died preaching the sermon, except for John. You know, this tomb was sealed by Roman, and, and he could have taken them over there and say, look, when we got there, there was the grave clothes in it. How many know when you're a, a grave robber, you just take everything? And actually, the value was in the grave clothes. That's where they put all of the stuff in. No, the, all of it was there. That's why when John ran to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, when he saw the grave clothes, immediately he became a believer. He recognized this was supernatural, and he understood. But let's say some of you are having a problem with all this. I want to read a very obscure text. I'm sure you've read this, but it hasn't registered maybe the way I'm going to share it with you today, okay? So we're going to turn to Matthew's gospel for a minute. And in Matthew, he says something very interesting. He's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Look what it says. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. In other words, he died. At that moment, I'm reading the very next verse, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rock split. I spoke about this Friday night. Remember that? Talked about the, how big the curtain was, how gigantic. It took 400 priests to maneuver the ve this veil, and it was torn from the top to the bottom. And when you read further in the book of Acts, many priests became believers. I wonder why. They knew this was abnormal. This was really an amazing thing. But let's read the next verse, verse 52. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. You got to think about that. That's the next verse. Here's the next one. Then came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, I, I, I just want you to follow. Track with me for a minute. This is how my mind works. Okay, you've buried Aunt Martha. She's a very devout, godly woman, and she's been dead for one year. Now, she's been buried at the side, somewhere in one of those caves along in the rocky area of Jerusalem because it's, uh, it's built, uh, nestled in all these mountains, guys. So she's buried there, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of the grave. He's appearing to people, but not only that, he's the first fruit of the, first fruit of the resurrection. A whole bunch of holy people come out of the graves and start visiting their relatives. Now, I don't know about you, but that, I'm sure, freaked a few people out. How many here would say, I'd be a little freaked out if one of my long-lost relatives showed up at my house? It wouldn't, wouldn't it scare the bejeebers right out of you? Come on, let's, you know... You know, we got to read the Bible the way it says it, the way it is. And I'm just going, this is so amazing. So not only did Jesus rise from the dead, a whole bunch of holy people are walking around that were once dead, are walking around the city of Jerusalem, bumping into people and talking to people and all the rest of it. And I'm sure if that starts happening, a lot of people are talking. 
let's be honest, wouldn't you be talking? You'd be, you'd be on Facebook, you'd be phoning, you can't believe this, you know, you'd be telling everybody. How many here probably you'd tell a few people if some dead relative showed up? You'd probably be talking, would you be talking about? Now Peter gets up. This is all going on, right? All of this stuff is happening, and he goes, now listen, Jesus is alive. And the people, if they thought he was still dead, they're gonna say, listen, Peter, you're full of it. I mean, that, Jesus is dead back there in the tomb, but they didn't disagree with him. As we're gonna see, they responded to the sermon because they knew what he was saying was the truth. And thousands of people that day came to faith in Christ because of what Peter said here. And these are the actual guys that had killed Jesus. And so they started to recognize we have blown it big time. We've messed up. Let me move on to my second point. And it was accomplished. Not only was it planned, but it was promised by God. Now it's accomplished through the power of God. Obviously, these are miracles of amazing magnitude. To be brought back to life. Actually, the resurrection was God's seal of approval that Jesus is who he says he is. And Paul, when he's preaching the gospel, he says this when he's writing to the Romans. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And what he's basically saying there is, this is God's seal of approval. This is the Messiah. This is, this is really God in the flesh. God is resurrected from the dead. Peter now states that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus. How many know if you live a sinless life, you will never have to die? The only problem is we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we're dying. But Jesus didn't have to die, folks, because he had never sinned. And what he did on the cross was take our sins. That's why he died. He died so that you and I could have life. You know, we're making a substitute with God. We're making an exchange. He's taking our sin. We're taking his sinless life. How many go on? Amazing exchange. And out of that, he dies so that you and I can have life. Is that an amazing? This is, this is good news. This is phenomenal news. Powerful news. Now, I want to just say this, you know, that one of the most compelling arguments for the power of the resurrected life is a changed life. How many say that's probably true? Now you think about it, the Apostle Paul, here he is, he's killing Christians, right? And now he's on his way to Damascus, which is about 60 miles from Jerusalem. He's traveling there, and uh, Jesus shows up. This is like a number of years later in the story. It's not like it happened 40 days later. We're talking a few years down the road. He's allowed Paul to be a persecutor. Some people have been arrested. Stephen was martyred. He was killed. Paul's running out. He's trying to kill some more people and arrest them and all and tell them to stop talking like this. It's, just, you know, it's actually messing their Jewish faith up. That's what he was thinking. And he's on his way, and Jesus shows up and stops him. And he says a vision of the resurrection Jesus. And this guy gets changed. He moves from being the number one persecutor to the number one propagator. He's the number one preacher now. How many, don't you think God has a sense of irony? I'm going to take the number one guy that's destroying the faith. I'm going to make him the number one proponent and advocate for the faith. And God changes him. Now, just looking at his life, that's such a dramatic change. Do you know when you're looking at uh, testimonies of some people's lives, how many have ever seen Alpha? Anybody ever do the Alpha stuff? How many are amazed at the stories 
of changed lives in there. And I mean, it's radical stuff. I mean, these guys that they have on Alpha are so messed up. I mean, when you look at their picture of the before and after, you don't even recognize the same person. Isn't that true? Uh, Kirsten and Dirk, you, you guys see that. Isn't that amazing? And the one guy, he goes, I looked into the mirror the next day after praying, and he says, I saw a different man. I mean, all of my addictions were lifted at that moment. Is that, that's, that's the power of God. This guy's a criminal. He's in jail. He's in, it's just amazing, the transformation. Do you know why Satan comes along and tempts us to accommodate and compromise our life? Do you know why he's doing that? He wants to diminish the impact of the message of the transforming life that Jesus brings. That's why he's doing it. And so you and I, it behooves us, it, it, I'm urging you to say, you know, we need to learn how to say no to sin and say yes to God. Because when we say yes to sin, we lose our freedoms and sin has power and it begins to take us back under. But when we say yes to God, there's a freedom there and we have the power to say yes. And when you have this transformed life, it begins to validate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Satan is constantly trying to get you and I as a believer to do the wrong thing. Can you see it? Let me move to the final point here. And that's simply, it's demonstrated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, there would be no Holy Spirit? Because Jesus is the one that sends the Holy Spirit. That's what he told him in the upper room. It's very important that I leave now so I can send another advocate, another comfort to someone like myself. I'm going to send the spirit of truth. I'm going to send the paraclete. Listen to this. Here's the good news. If you and I were to take a time capsule and walk with Jesus while he walked, and we could only be close to Jesus when we are in physical proximity to him. But Jesus, that's important that I leave. You know why? Because I'm going to come and live inside of you. This is the beautiful thing. This is what makes being a Christian so exciting. This is what makes it distinctly different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Spirit of God would come upon you in the Old Testament so you could do certain acts and tasks. But in the New Testament, the Spirit lives inside of us. That's why Jesus could say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because he's living in us. Isn't it amazing? I, have, I, don't, I don't have to ever be alone. As a matter of fact, I am never alone. I have Jesus. I have my best friend. He's always with me. If I go through a hard time, I can just start talking to him. If I have a burden, I can tell him. If, I'm, if I wake up at night and maybe I'm anxious about something, I can pour out my heart to him and all those anxieties lift. Isn't it an amazing thing that we can talk to God like that? And when the enemy comes against us, we can say, Jesus. We can just call on his name and he's as near as the mention of his name. He's there with us. He's the power that's living within us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within us. There is an amazing power at work in our lives. <clears throat> Do you know the demons are afraid of Jesus? Does anybody know that? Where's Jesus? In me. So they're not going to bug me. See, they bug, they bug certain people because they don't know who they are. We need to understand who we are. But the Holy Spirit today is also working at convicting and convincing us of our need for Christ. And I just, you know, I picked up the story, it's so amazing, of a young Cuban. You know, he grew up in a dysfunctional home. A lot of us have. You know, he just grew up in brokenness. Isn't that true? And we can use that. We can blame that. We can say, this is the reason why I am what I am. Can we stop doing that? Can we just finally come to God and say, Lord, yeah, I've got, you know, I didn't maybe grow up with all the advantages, but you know what? If you come into my life, you are the, you are the negating factor. You can negate my past, and you can give me a brand new future. 
As a matter of fact, McGill was 14 years old when they sent him off to go to Havana to school. You know what he started doing? Instead of going to school, he went in the drug business. He started growing marijuana and coke plants. And he had 40 people working with him at 14 years old. This guy had to be a leader, right? At 14 years old, he's got a bunch of people working for him. They're growing cocaine and marijuana. Well, while he was going to go check on another field one day, he wanted some literature. He didn't have anything to read, so he went to the older lady that was by, at a house nearby, and he said, you have anything to read? She says, yeah. She handed him a New Testament. How many know that? That's going to be an exciting read. So he starts reading the New Testament. How many know there's power in the Word of God? He starts, and I'm sure this woman was praying for him because I'm sure she knew what he was about, and he's now reading the New Testament. He starts reading about Jesus. He gets enthralled. He's never heard the story before. He's reading about Jesus, all the things he's doing. He reads about his death. He reads about his resurrection, but he just keeps on growing his marijuana and doing his thing. But he's telling all his coworkers about just Jesus. He's reading from the New Testament to the 40 guys that are working with him in the Coke plants and the marijuana plants. He's still doing this. But then a crisis comes into his life, and he's deathly sick, and he's, he's in terrible shape, and he's in this accident and all of a sudden as he's trying to recover from this accident you know he hears a radio broadcast in Spanish about the gospel of Jesus Christ and he tunes in he's listening and the speaker talks to him about how terrible it is to live such an empty meaningless life full of guilt and shame and McGill realizes that that's his life he's describing and God opens his heart and he gives his life to Jesus and the first thing he does is he gets rid of all of his plants. He destroys his field. That's all of the pay for all of his workers, right? The 40 people show up, and what does McGill do? He starts preaching the gospel, tells them how he gave his life to Christ, and all 40 of them become Christians. That was amazing. And then he says this. This is a quote. From our little band of cocaine farmers, he said, have come 12 pastors... Isn't that amazing? Yeah, God has turned this evil thing around. He's using it for good. And he says, and for the last six years, he's been pastoring a church after planting 10 churches. So he's a church planner. And he said, the lady, the older woman who gave me the New Testament is the leader of another group in another area. And all the other pastors are spread out all over Cuba doing ministry. These were the cocaine farmers. How many know that God can change people's lives? I love that story. It's great. And there's story after story like this all over the place. I met a young guy in India. I was his teacher. And when, I, when Dr. Thomas said, this guy, when we first met him, we didn't even know he was, they, they thought he was uh, not all with it in his mind, okay? He was, he was found eating garbage in the streets. He was so messed up in his thinking, people didn't even, he was incoherent. But when he became, became a follower of Jesus Christ, his mind became renewed. This guy was so keen to learn that today he has a PhD and is studying in the United States. He's one of the most brilliant young Indian students. in our. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that the gospel of Jesus Christ produces in people's lives. So let me close the message how Peter closed it. Verse 36, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They knew everything Peter said was the truth. They realized, my goodness, we just killed our own Messiah. Can you imagine how bad they felt? They said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Where can we go from here? And Peter said, it's real simple. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You know, I'm over 60 years old. I'm going to tell you something. I've lived in our country most of my life, and I've watched the corruption in our nation. It's more corrupt today than it was before. I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm saying humanity has always been corrupt. There's been times in human history far more corrupt than this. But I want you to know something. What's going to change our country? Jesus. That's right. You know, I like all the things we try to do as human beings to help people. But I want to just point something out to you. We have so many problems with drug addiction today in our own community. Isn't that true? Is that a big problem? We have addiction problems all over the place. You know what? We were told for years all people needed was a better education. We are some of the most educated people on the planet, and we're still, we're still dealing with addictions. Education is not the ultimate answer. And I'm speaking as a person who loves to learn. I am well-educated, but that's not the issue. That's not the ultimate answer. It's this person called Jesus that changes our lives. He's the one that transforms us. He's the one that delivers us. He's the one that sets us free. I love, you know, this whole idea of repentance. You know what? It's so simple. You know what it means? Change your mind. It means get a different attitude. It means, you know, that from you and I to just admit we're finally wrong. You know, I've been studying here. I'm telling you this. I've been working on a thesis for over a year. And, you know, it's really fascinating to me. There's only two groups of people in the world, the wise and the foolish. You know who the wise people are? They're the ones that fear God. You know who the foolish people are? The ones who think they know everything and you can't tell them anything. That's the foolish person. You can't instruct them. You can't correct them. They know it all. The wise person says, you know what? I don't know anything. And I've learned over the years, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. That's what happens. That's really what happens. And some of us in this room, we've made all kinds of mistakes, right? Come on. I got my hand up. How many have made a few mistakes? But I want you to know God can redeem you from those mistakes. If you will surrender your life to him, he will give you meaning and purpose in this life. As a matter of fact, God has an assigned task for every one of our lives. And so many of us are afraid to fully surrender to him because we're afraid God's going to make us do something we don't want to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you will fully surrender to God, you will be doing exactly what you really want to do. That's the way it works. So let's stand today. Let's stand today. Are you glad for Jesus? Are you glad that he's alive and rose from the dead and he's conquered sin and death and he's given you and I eternal life? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing what we're celebrating today? But I want to make it real personal today. You and I can say, yes, pastor, I believe all of this but to actually appropriate it in our lives, to actually experience its power, that's powerful. How many here say, you know what? I want to lay down my fears right now. I want to lay down every fear I've got. I want to just give my life completely to Jesus. Say, okay, Lord, I don't know how many more years, days, weeks, however long I have. I want to just give it to you fully. I want to surrender to you completely. I want to accomplish your purposes for my life And I'm going to tell you right now, you'll be the happiest person on the planet. 
Because what's going to start happening, this is what's going to start happening. You're going to move away from your self-centeredness. You're going to become so Christ-focused because after a while, it won't be about you anymore. You know what? We're unhappiest when we're focused on ourselves. That's the truth. All of a sudden, we're free. Free of ourselves, free of our sin. And then we're free to serve. And we're free to give our lives away. And we become courageous. And then we just start really discovering life. There is, you know, the great joy in life is giving your life away. The great joy in your life is serving other people. And you come in the name of Jesus. And you come in the power of Jesus. And you come in the anointing that the Spirit of God brings and puts in your life. Listen, folks, when you and I surrender to Jesus, you know what comes and happens? His Spirit fills you. His Spirit fills you. You know what the Bible says? In the presence of God, there's what? Fullness of joy. He's going to fill you with peace and joy and hope. He's going to change your heart. That's what has to happen. See, we're not preaching about conforming to external things. I think that's where the church has missed it so far for so long. It's about a changed heart. God wants to change my heart. He wants me to have a heart after his heart. He wants me to long to do his will. And you know, I'm praying this morning. I was praying this morning for these things. God, heal sick bodies. Deliver people from their addictions. I was praying this morning that people would come to faith in Christ. But here's the last one. That God would deliver many of you from useless lives, living strictly for yourself. That God has an amazing call on your life. And I'm coveting God's purposes to be fulfilled in and through you. Your lives could change our whole nation. Your lives. I'm looking at the people. I'm not just talking about changing red. I'm talking about changing all of Canada. But what is it going to take? Fully surrendered life. A fully, that was my prayer for you. You would live a fully surrendered life and you would have no idea how that's going to impact people. You may not seem great in the eyes of society, but you'll be great in the eyes of God. And you will impact people around you. And you never know who you're impacting. And they can continue on to impact many more. How many are going to join me by raising your hands and saying, okay, Lord, here's my life. I don't know how long I have. You may think you have a long time. You may not. You don't know. I want to give him every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every year that's left. I want to live so fully for God that it changes my world. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for, for all of us. Even if you're not raising your hand, I'm still praying for you, but that'll happen to you. And so, Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. I believe, Lord, that you want to fill us with your spirit. I believe that you want us to lay down our agendas. You want us to lay aside our plans because your plan oftentimes is far greater. I know there's some of us that are already doing what you're asking us to do. I know many are doing that. But, Lord, I just pray that we'll lay aside our agendas and allow your will to be done inside of us. That's what repentance is. Change our attitude fully trust you with all that we are and to watch what you're going to do in and through our lives. I marvel at what you're doing, Father. You're a miracle-working God. I'm praying today that miracles will flow from this place, even as it did on the day of Pentecost, that our lives would be so radically affected that it will literally transform our city, our province, and our nation 
We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.